Good morning, Rock Creek. Would you please stand with me for the reading of our great God's Word? Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Exodus 3, 9 through 14. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be your sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what, I sh- what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Ephesians 1, 8b through 12. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, it's our practice at Rock Creek, typically to take a moment and, uh, and remind ourselves and, and, uh, and settle down and remember that while this may be as entertaining as a Netflix comedy special, it is not that. It is, that was a joke and not a funny one. It is, um, thanks Marshall. It is a uh, it is a conversation. This is something where the Lord wants to is is offering you Himself. He's speaking to you, and uh, and we are called to receive and to respond. So let's take a second to quiet ourselves. Father, without your revelation, without you showing us, we won't get anywhere, and we won't know much of anything. So give us yourself as we turn to you now, we pray. Amen. As we uh, finished up our uh, sermon series um, and uh, in the end of John, towards the end of John there, uh, Eric and I were talking about what to do next. And because Eric is out of town for two weeks, I get to choose two weeks. And I just had like this uh, moment of elation. No, I'm just kidding. It's more a moment of terror. Like, what do I want to do for two weeks? So, um, so uh, what we talked about is, is, uh, is doing a uh, two-part sermon series on the incommunicable attributes of God. 
Here's why. We, as a congregation, um, are on the side of Christianity. If there's a spectrum of Christianity, we are on the side uh, that emphasizes the nearness of God. We are typically going to talk about God's uh, closeness to us, that God has, 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 has made himself known and, has, and is near to us and is, and is gentle and humble in heart. These are great things. We uh, on on the opposite side of the spectrum of Christianity is um, the transcendence of God. So think of of cathedrals with tall ceilings that are meant uh, to lift your eyes up, and 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 magnificent structures and stained glass windows that are meant to impress upon you the beauty and the majesty of God. So we tend to be more on on, on the the nearness. If you're too far on the majesty of God, you tend to get essentially this God is other. He is far above me. Uh, I'm a worm. I've got nothing. And, and, and God, is, is, uh, his, his thoughts are above my thoughts. And so you, you can slide into a kind of deism, like God is kind of separate. He's so far outside of his creation that he doesn't actually have much to do with us, which is, that, is actually pretty close to an age that we tend to do that is when we, when we come up against something like, why have I been thinking all weekend about that email from the customer I got on Friday who was mad at me? Why am I controlled still as a 42-year-old by, by uh, getting my father's approval? Why do I, why when I didn't get my way, and, and we all, and like, so we went to a different place to eat, did it just ruin my night? We tend to make these tiny, these things that are not gods into gods in our life. Things that are not God start to hold the sway of God over us. And one of the ways we can find our way out of that is by coming back over and reminding ourselves, these are not gods. These are not, uh, the, the, those little things don't guide and guard me. They don't protect me. They don't hold me. They don't save me. But my God is other and separate and he is powerful. And so one of the things that, that I hope this, these next two weeks does is kind of invite us out of the petty and small gods to, to give our attention to the true God. So, the incommunicable attributes of God. Here we go. On April 12th, 1961, anybody a space buff know that date? Anybody? Anybody? Yuri Gagarin was launched into orbit and spent 108 minutes encircling the globe before he landed down again uh, to Earth in Kazakhstan. Gagarin is internationally recognized as the first human in space and the first to orbit the Earth. Supposedly, while he was up there in the heavens, he uttered this phrase, I don't see any God up here. That is, if he could get into the heavens, he should be able to see God and kind of like take him by surprise while he was napping. Ooh, I found him. But he didn't see him. C.S. Lewis contested this. He responded and he said, you know, that's a lot like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle looking for Shakespeare. 
He goes on, if there, if there is a God, he wouldn't be another object in the universe that could be put in a lab and analyzed with empirical methods. He would relate to us the way a playwright relates to the character in his play. We characters might be able to know quite a lot about the playwright, but only to the degree that the author chooses to put information about himself in the play. In other words, this this is the God that we are approaching now isn't one that we can deduce and come to conclusions about given our own mental faculties. By definition, if he is God, he exists outside of us, more like Shakespeare outside of the play of Hamlet. And so we have to ask, has this God revealed himself to us? We looked at this passage and the story in Exodus 3 where God meets with Moses and he reveals himself. He says his name to him. And this, uh, the version that's printed in our bulletin um, doesn't have uh, many, many versions would have that I am who I am or uh, the I am has sent you have that in all caps. Do you guys recognize that if you've read uh, the scriptures before? Oftentimes that's in all caps. That's to denote that this is the name that God is giving himself. This is a sacred, this is the tetragrammaton, the name that God has declared is his. And when he says, I am who I am, that is a mysterious thing that doesn't sound like a name, does it? It doesn't sound like much, it sounds a bit nonsensical, but what, uh, and it's contested what he actually means to communicate to Moses, but we do, this is uncontested, what he is communicating, this portion at least, is that he is other and he is separate and he is self-existent. In other words, he's telling Moses that he is, he has incommunicable attributes his eternity, his infinity, his immutability. It's one of the first ways he makes himself known. In other words, he says, as far above and separate from us as Shakespeare to Hamlet, is what he tells us. A.W. Tozer says this, Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I am, the self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. When you were a kid and your parents told you you'd go to heaven forever, whatever that means, did you ever sit in your bed and try and imagine what forever looked like in heaven? And you kind of, your brain starts to get hot. Do you remember that? It's like, I, what comes next? And then, and then what? You know that feeling? That's what he's saying. Few of us have given ourselves to actually pondering this self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. It's actually outside of our ability. Such thoughts are too painful for us. We prefer to think where it will do more good, about how to build a better mousetrap, for instance, or how to make two blades of grass grow where one grew before. And for this, we are now paying a too heavy price and the secularization of our religion, and the decay of our inner lives. Tozer is saying, if you don't actually give attention to this part, this transcendence, this incommunicableness of God, then it's going to decay your inner life. It's going to corrupt our religion. And what I want to do just this morning briefly is look at two of these attributes. Infinity and knowledge. These two attributes of our God and how that might impact us if we actually give attention to, the, uh, to those parts of his character. <coughs> so 
So God says, I am who I am. I am self-existent. I, I, I was before anything. I will be after everything. I am the great, I am before anything existed, I am. He is communicating to Moses in part, one of the things is that he is infinite. And what that means is that whatever he is, he is that to the bottom, all expansively, never ending and unbounding, unbounded and producing that. Whatever he is, he is fully and wholly capable of producing that. He's got the power. He's not bounded by time or space or, or the limits of energy to produce his will. He is infinite. There's a movie uh, that I saw recently uh, that came highly recommended from a number of people I really trust that, that actually deals with this. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Bit of an art house film, not for everybody. But what, um, what happens in that movie is that it plays with, and you guys, there's all kind of groans and smirks about sci-fi and all this stuff. Look, do you know a movie that deals with, in, like helps you think about what the infinite really means and what, that would, what you would live out? I don't think so. So stop, stop all your smirking. It's great to, <laughs> sci-fi is awesome. It helps us think about stuff that we wouldn't otherwise like consider. Okay, everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm feeling a little defensive. <laughs> it's this movie that deals, with, that, that in part raises the questions about a, a mother and her child. And, and uh, this young lady um, is infused mysteriously with the power of the infinite. She is unbounded. She can be everywhere. She can be everything and all at once. She becomes unbounded. What happens when a human becomes unbounded? When, when the, uh, her essence is now unbounded from time and space and energy and is free to express itself across all of existence? Well, what becomes unbounded because she is a, a human is fear, self-interest, Loneliness. This is what becomes unbounded and unleashed into existence. And because that's what becomes infinite, what happens is destruction. Because if self-interest becomes unbounded, then it destroys all other selves in the interest of the one. But our God says that he is infinite. And his character is unbounded. Job 11 says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? One of our speakers at RYM said this, that, um, that God declares himself, uh, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious slow to anger. In other places, he says he is not easily provoked to anger. And the speaker made this point. God has to be provoked into getting angry, but he just is merciful. He is good. And so when we talk about the infinite capability, the infinite capacity of God, that whatever he is, is going to be set loose on all things at all times, it's not, self, it's not uh, fearful self-interest 
that God is that God is unleashing into everything, everywhere, all at once. It is goodness. That what you see and what I experience in this existence is the unbounded goodness of God. That's what we see going out into eternity from our forever existent living God, his goodness. At the heart of the universe is goodness. Okay, so that begs the question, why is there war in Ukraine? Why am I stuck in a job I don't love? Why is my family of origin such a mess? Why is there disease? Why, when I want to make that one thing and I go to the kitchen, I'm always missing an ingredient? That's a good question. If at the center of the universe is unbounded goodness, infinite goodness, goodness that is holy and completely capable of only goodness all the time, why, why are these frustrations present? Isaiah 55, one of my favorite passages, says this, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's knowing is as high above our knowing as the heavens are above the earth. And before I get in, my apologies to Andrew Voss, who I don't see. Sometimes an illustration hits you at 8.30 a.m., and you go with it. And I didn't have time to call our rocket scientist. Okay, so do you know how much energy it requires to get from the earth to the heavens? You don't. I didn't either. Thank you. But listen, this is from NASA's website. This is going to be too long. Settle in, because it's awesome. All right. So, do you remember the space shuttle, the thing that you had as a kid, that toy, and looks kind of like a plane with the big fat middle part, the wings? Okay. And then when it's about to launch, it also has those two little like side rockets, right, that are, uh, that are part of it and a big fat one in the So we're talking about that structure, that thing, to get that thing up into the heavens. You ready for this? The energy released by the three space shuttle main engines, all the things that propel it up there, at their full power, calculated in watts, is equivalent to the same amount of energy created by 13 Hoover Dams. I don't know much about the Hoover Dam, it's really big, and it's one of the wonders of, of like modern world. Great. Okay. The main shaft of the turbo pump rotates, so the thing that like generates power, and then it rotates to create, rotates at 37,000 RPM. A car operating at 60 miles per hour runs at about 2,000 RPM. 37 is a lot more than two. The maximum equivalent horsepower... <laughs> okay, you ready? The maximum equivalent horsepower developed by the three main engines is more than 37 million horsepower. <laughs> That's the one that got me. <laughs> what? 37 million? At liftoff, just the two solid rocket boosters consume, get this, 11,000 pounds of fuel per second. <laughs> that is two million times the rate at which fuel is burned by the average family car. Two million times. That's how much energy it takes. The twin solid rocket boosters generate a combined thrust of 5.3 million pounds. That equals about 
40 million horsepower or the energy of 14,700 six-axle diesel locomotives or, to put in our terms, 400,000 compact cars. That's how much power is, ge is generated just to get something from here up there. That is awesome, y'all. Okay. So when God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth, do you think that unbounded goodness might have a good reason for the fact that there's no more flour? Maybe so. Maybe he's got a reason you can't see. I think that is great. I think it's wonderful that, that just because you're in a job you may not love or you don't understand why things aren't moving forward or you don't have that relationship that you think you ought to have, that unbounded goodness with perfect 100% all the way, all-inclusive knowledge might have a reason for where you are right now, might have a great, perfect, good reason for the things you see. Here's a quote that is too much, but I'm reading it anyways. We know things mediately. That means by mediation. That means we know things through our senses that we can pick up. There's something in between the information out there and our reception of it. God knows them immediately. We know things successively, one thing after another, but God knows by one all-comprehending insight. We know only in part but God's knowledge is exhaustively complete, says Boyce. He knows everything down to its very core. He knows you that way. His knowledge is complete. His, his knowledge is exhaustive from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, before there was such a thing as a beginning, his knowledge has been complete and it will remain complete and exhaustive. He is infinitely good and fully knowing. That is something that can deliver you from the tiny and petty gods that ruin your life. That is something that can give strong comfort and distress, and loss, and confusion. We said that we won't actually know this God, that we are more like Hamlet, and he's more like Shakespeare. Unless he writes himself in, we're not going to know him. Tim Keller uses this illustration. Dorothy Sayers, who is a writer in the 20s and 30s, in England. She was a mystery writer, for one thing, and she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She wrote a series of books uh, about this, uh, this gentleman, Lord Peter Whimsey, who was a gentleman detective and a bachelor in London in the 1920s. After many novels of writing this character, writing his stories, she wrote in a new character named Harriet Deborah Vane. Harriet is a character in the novels, is a writer of detective novels. She also holds a degree from Oxford University. She becomes not only a partner in crime solving, but a lover. 
Many critics see this as Dorothy writing herself into that story, that as she wrote this story and watched it play out, she saw the loneliness of Lord Peter and fell in love with him, so to speak, and herself into the story to solve the problem. Our Father has written himself into this story, into your story and mine in Christ Jesus And Christ has become for us the way to know this unknowable God. He said, I've come near. He said, in his unbounded goodness, his infinite goodness and his perfect knowledge at the very center of the universe stands the cross. The display of perfect knowledge and unbounded goodness. Sacrificial love for you and for me. And when we doubt, we can look at the cross. We know that this God is not just far away. He is also near. He has come close. He has made himself known and he's written himself into our story. And that is what we ponder and receive as we come to this table today. This unknowable God who has made himself known. This transcendent God who has come near and written himself into our story standing at the center with sacrificial love. It's our practice here to take a moment before we come to the Lord's Supper and confess our sins together, that we would be wiped clean from guilt and be ready to receive what the Lord offers us. If you have your bulletin, please turn to page three. You'll see this prayer that we're going to pray together, and then we'll have a moment of silent and private prayer. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now take a moment to silently and privately confess your sins to our Father, knowing that in his unbounded goodness and infinite knowledge, he is far more ready to forgive than you are to confess.